All right, can you hear me all right? Awesome. Yeah, I know. It's kind of weird when you're the uh, audio tech all this time and then then you're on the other end of the microphone. It's so weird, you know, like uh, I know how to use this stuff, but I never use it myself. But it's all good. The Lord is good. So uh, why don't we start with a word of prayer? Come before the Lord. Gracious Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we thank you, God, for your goodness and mercy and kindness upon us. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege to come before your throne in confidence as your children, to sing your praises, to glorify you. For indeed, Lord, you are holy, 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 and worthy of all praise and honor and glory. Lord, ask that you forgive me of my sins and cleanse me, that your word would come through me through your spirit, that these words would not be mine, but that it would all be yours and all the glory would come to you. And Lord God, I ask for my brothers that you open their hearts, that the word would feed them and encourage them tonight. And Lord God, we also pray for the lady studies, for the children and the youth, that Lord, you would minister to each and every one of us. And Lord, for anyone who does not know you personally or has swayed from the truth, that they would come to you and, uh, and be reunited with you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't have any car stories to tell you guys this time. That Challenger is still in the garage, you know, engines apart, but uh, it's going to get there one day. And uh, the Galaxy, it's having carburetor issues, but, you know, Lord is good. He'll let me figure it out in his timing. But today, I'm going to talk to you on Genesis chapter 46. And I've entitled this study, Remembering God's Goodness. And indeed, God is good. So, last week, let's do a little review on what Pastor Henry taught on Genesis chapter 45. So, he was focusing on Joseph, the brother who, gave, who forgave his own brothers. So, as uh, we were going through the word, you know, Joseph had been testing his brothers to see where their hearts actually were and if they had actually changed and... Um, and, you know, the fact that they all came back with Benjamin, even though he was caught with a silver cup in his sack, and, you know, they were going to plead their case in front of the second most powerful man in Egypt. Man, that must have been a, quite a feeling. But, you know, um, before they could have abandoned him, just like they did Simeon, you know, uh, all we hear is Simeon was sent to prison, and then the brother just went back home. But something was different this time. And, you know, they were just ready to face the consequences. The Lord was doing a work in their hearts, and uh, something was different. And uh, Joseph could tell. So um, as we go through chapter 45, Joseph eventually revealed himself to his brothers. And boom, the bombshell. Hey, guys, Genesis. Uh, he said, you know, I'm your brother Joseph. And, um, you know, it must have been a really strange experience, you know. Imagine you haven't seen your brother for 20-some years, and the last thing you remember was you sold him off, and all of a sudden he says, I'm your brother. That must have been quite an experience. And uh, what's interesting is, you know, Joseph never held a grudge against his brothers, even though they did wrong to him. And in uh, Genesis 44, verse 5, it says, But now... 
Do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. What an attitude. Um, can't imagine what it would be like if, uh, if a brother betrayed me and uh, put me in a place where I'm sold off, put in prison, and then all of a sudden I'm faced. And I'm in a situation where I can pretty much sentence them to death. And yet, I'll say, I forgive you. But uh, the Lord allows us to do that. So the Lord is in control and makes all things work for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose, as it says in Romans 8.28. So, as we go down through chapter 45, Joseph instructs his brothers to go back and bring their father down to Egypt along with their families and belongings. In 45, verse 13, it says, So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. And in addition, uh, Pharaoh instructed Joseph to give them carts and provisions for the journey and bring the family back to have the best of Egypt for them. So Joseph gave them changes of clothes as well. And as you recall, you know, when Benjamin got caught with that silver cup, they just ripped their clothes in, uh, in anguish, and, and they were just almost mourning. But, um, you know, when they had to face Joseph, but, uh, you know, Joseph gave them a change of clothes, and now they were reconciled and renewed. And they were probably saying, hey, man, check these threads out. But anyway, so... Um, so the brothers head back to Canaan, and uh, man, what kind of conversations were they having? Uh, on one hand, you know, they were totally surprised and amazed to see their brother alive, and I'm sure uh, they were probably relieved that they're not going to be imprisoned or punished for some crime that uh, they didn't commit. But, uh, you know, Pastor Henry mentioned Cadillac carts, but... Uh, I think these are probably Maseratis or Rolls Royces, you know, the best of the best you could buy at the time. And, you know, they would be traveling in luxury, but with all those good material things that they had. Can you imagine having to go back to your father and fess up to a 20-year-old lie? I mean, what would you do? So, uh, man... They had told their father that their little brother was mauled and killed by a wild animal. And they even uh, set it up with uh, his cloak soaked in blood. And man, if you were a father and, and you fathers in here, how would you feel if you lost a son and then all of a sudden you'd get the news that he's actually alive? And uh, in Genesis 45 verse 26... This is uh, Jacob's reaction. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still, because he did not believe them. I would too. But, uh, you know, he was in disbelief. And, uh, but, uh, you know, all the things that he saw, and all the things that the brothers were saying, you know, the clothing, the carts, and uh, the provisions that were sent to them. That was the proof. And that was good enough for their father. And in verse 27 of chapter 45, 
we see that it says, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. What a neat thing to be revived and renewed. So now we move into chapter 46. And um, this was kind of a difficult study to arrange, but there are three main things uh, that I want you to focus on. So first section deals with Jacob's journey to Egypt. And the second part deals with an account of Jacob's family, of all who came down to Egypt. And the third portion deals with settling in the land of Goshen. But um, through all these things, um, please keep in mind remembering God's goodness. So let's start with verse 1. It reads, So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba, and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. So Beersheba was the southernmost outpost of the promised land on the way to Egypt. And uh, we have accounts previously in Genesis that Abraham and Isaac actually dwelt in those areas. If we look at Genesis chapter 22, verse 19, it reads, So Abraham returned to his young men. They rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. And in Genesis chapter 26, I'm going to read verses 23 to 25. It says, Then he, Isaac, went up from there to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Kind of got me thinking, how long had it been since we have any mention of Jacob or the brothers inquiring of God before making a decision? So I started looking back through the chapters, and, um, and I believe this is a very significant point, that this detail is not mentioned in... Uh, quite a few chapters where uh, their behavior or thought process did not uh, go to God first before they made these decisions. So um, I turned back quite a few pages and um, came across chapter 35. And uh, I want to read a couple verses from there. In verse 1, it says, Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were there with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Verse 3, Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and had been with me in the way in which I have gone. Verse 4, So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands, and earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, 
because their God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. So uh, remembering God's goodness. This is what uh, Jacob should have remembered. And finally, he's starting to remember how good God is. So let's move on to verse 2 in chapter 46. It reads, Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. And you notice, um, as we've done quite a few of these studies, whenever something is repeated in the word of God, its intent is to be emphatic. So when God is calling Jacob twice, you'd better listen. And, um, you know, being in communion with God so that we hear him and acknowledge him when he calls us and directs us, there's no other way. You've got to have your heart set on the Lord, your mind set on the Lord. You've got to be in continual prayer. and You've got to be meditating on his word day and night. Otherwise, it's just so easy to fall into complacency. It's so easy to fall upon your own wisdom and... Uh, and once you lose that connection with the Lord, you know, it's all downhill from there. But here we see when the Lord called Jacob, Jacob, man, he said, here I am. In John chapter 14, verses 15 and 16, it reads, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. And who's that helper? It's the Holy Spirit. So when we're in communion with God, the Holy Spirit can talk to us, can minister to us, and dwell in us that uh, we can minister to each other as well. Later on in uh, John 14, verse 23, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. You know, this body that we have, it is the temple of God. He wants to live in it while we're still on this earth. Someday, this body is going to change. But in the meantime, the best, best guest you can have in here is the Lord. And, uh, and if he directs you and guides you, um, no matter what circumstances you face, you can overcome them because he knows what's best for us. So when, you know, God is taking us through a physical journey while we're here on this earth, in this earthly body, but it's a spiritual journey that he wants us to take, that we rely on him, and by relying on him, we would be best equipped to glorify him with every breath. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, it reads, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Bless you. And uh, so what is our first love? Are we longing to have that intimate relationship with God? Or are we relying on our own strength and wisdom? Here's a really neat psalm. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. It says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so, my, so pants my soul for you, O God. 
My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So Jacob answered the Lord and said, Here I am, meaning he heard the Lord and is ready to obey. Um, Does this sound somewhat familiar? Um, You know the story of Samuel when he was serving under Eli the priest? So uh, what happened there? You know, the first time um, the Lord called unto Samuel and uh, heard his name, and he comes to the priest Eli and says, Master, yeah, what do you want? I'm ready. But um, Eli said, Oh, I didn't call you. Go back. So second time, Samuel hears his name being called and uh, comes to Eli again. And uh, what happens? Eli says, I didn't call you. Go sleep. Don't bug me. And then third time, happened again. Samuel. So goes up and goes to the priest. And now Eli realizes. It's actually the Lord calling him. So uh, he instructs Samuel to respond to the Lord. First Samuel chapter 3 verse 10. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times. Samuel. Samuel. Notice he called his name twice. So it's emphatic and uh, Lord wants his attention. And uh, the verse continues, And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. So uh, when the Lord calls us, are we ready to say, Speak, Lord. I am your servant. I am ready to listen. I am ready to obey. Moving on with uh, verse 3 in chapter 46. So he said, I am God. The God of your father, do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. Continuing in verse 4. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Hand on your eyes. I was trying to look that up and see what it meant, and... um, and what I could uh, picture here is, you know, Jacob, if let's say he was able to see his son, and uh, and let's say when he was on his deathbed, that uh, Joseph would actually be able to put his hands on his eyes when he breathes his last, close his eyes. Yeah. So um, let's step back to Genesis chapter 28 and... Uh, Look at Jacob's vow to the Lord. And this is where I was focusing on remembering God's goodness. So um, there are quite a few verses I want to read, but I think it's important to, to recall these things that, uh, that God spoke to Jacob. So in Genesis 28, I'm going to start at verse 12 and go down a few verses. It says, Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, And its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east to the north and the south, 
And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. You know, as I'm maturing in my faith in the Lord um, and see his hand govern and direct my life, the word awesome becomes more prevalent in my vocabulary. And um, I, I keep thinking about all the bad decisions I've made that he's protected me from. And all the good things he keeps blessing me with that I'm just so undeserving. And all I can say is, God, you're truly awesome. So um, realizing God's awesomeness, let's take note of Jacob's action starting in verse 18 of, uh, of chapter 28. So then Jacob arose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and keep me in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat, and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Really neat picture. And, um, you know, this is what being on fire for the Lord is. That uh, you remember what he's done for you. And uh, and you set reminders for yourself that, uh, you know, just to keep yourself in check that uh, you know the Lord is really good and he has been good and will be good and is unchanging so once we recognize how awesome God is do we use him as an insurance policy for a rainy day or do we make note of these reminders so that we do not become complacent and comfortable where we are and we forget what he has done who he is and that he sustains our very breath like to read to you from proverbs chapter 30 verses 7 to 9 two things i request of you deprive me not before i die remove falsehood and lies far from me give me neither poverty nor riches feed me with the food allotted to me lest i be full and deny you and say who is the lord or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. You know, God meets every single need for me. And, uh, and I'm glad that he doesn't give me more than I can handle, but he gives me just enough to sustain me. And when my heart is content with what he gives me, that's when I'm able to rely on him and... Uh, and just be his servant. So 
chapter 46, verse 5 reads, Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones and their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So you guys remember the Cadillacs, or rather the Maserati and Rolls Royce wagons in the previous chapter? Um, Genesis 45:19. Now you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. So moving on to verse 6. So they took their livestock and their goods which they had acquired in the land of Canaan and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants which he brought with him to Egypt. So, kind of neat. Jacob remembered God's goodness. And when the Lord called his name, Jacob, Jacob, he said, I'm ready, Lord. What do you want me to do? And, you know, it's, uh, it's not an easy thing to take your whole family, go down to a totally different place um, in um, I can imagine you know uh, when we, my brother and I were small and when we would travel a long distance with our parents it's like if you're going from one major city to another and uh, you don't know what to expect you got to trust the Lord and uh, and it's a leap of faith so now we move on to this next section where um, it lists the descendants of Jacob, and uh, the division is done by the offspring of each wife or maid. And uh, we start off in verse 8 with the descendants that, uh, that Jacob bore through Leah. And I'm going to read 8 through 11. It says, Now these were the names of the children of Israel, Jacob and his sons, who went to Egypt. Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. The sons of Reuben were Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. It's kind of strange. I have a co-worker at work who's named Carmi, so it kind of reminded me of him. Verse 10, the sons of Simeon, poor guy, he got jailed, were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And uh, keep note, you guys know who the Levites were? I mean, they were basically the folks who were in charge of the priesthood. So, um, you know, they, they took care of the priesthood duties, the sacrifices, and the temple of the whole nation of Israel in the upcoming books. So... Uh, then we have verse 12. The sons of Judah were Ur and Onan, Shelah, and Perez, the Mexican brother. <laughs> Not really, no, but just checking if you guys are awake. And, uh, and Zerah. But Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And you guys remember Ur and Onan? They weren't willing to, uh, to bring forth the seed and uh, God got pretty upset with them. And uh, 
And it continues, the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. Verse 13, the sons of Issachar were Tola, Puva, Job, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulon were Sered, Elon, and Jalil. These were the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Paddan Aram with his daughter Dinah. All the persons, his sons and his daughters, were 33. All right, so we got one section down. We got three to go. All right, so second are the descendants from Zilpah, the maid whom uh, the shyster uncle Laban gave to Leah. And uh, in verse 16, it reads, The sons of Gad were Ziphion, Haggai, Shuni, Isbon, Eri, Arodi, and Areli. The sons of Asher were Jimna, Yeshua, Isui, Beria, Sarah, their sister, and the sons of Beria were Heber and Malkiel. These were the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, sixteen persons. So numbers adding up. All right, two down, two to go. Third, we have the descendants from Rachel the wife whom Jacob favored and uh, the children who were also his favorites. Verse 19 reads, The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, were Joseph and Benjamin. And to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Uh, one detail I wanted to point out about uh, the names that uh, Joseph named his son. Um, and we see in Joseph's character that um, he was truly a godly man. And remember that God was always in control the entire time, even when his brothers sold him, even when he went to some place where he didn't know the language or anything and was imprisoned. So when the Lord blessed him with children, he understood they were a gift from above. And their very names signify his continued worship to the one who is worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And for reference, you can look at Genesis 41, verses 51 and 52. It says, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. It's just neat how even with his family and his children, Joseph remembered the Lord. Moving on to verse 21 and 46, it says, The sons of Benjamin were Bela, Becher, Ashbel, Jerah, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, and then the twins Mupim and Hupim and Ard. And in verse 22, these were the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. So family's getting pretty big. So we got three down and one to go. And finally, we got the descendants from Bilhah, the maid whom Uncle Laban gave to Rachel. And starting in verse 23, it reads, the son of Dan was Hushem. The sons of Naphtali were Jazil, Guni, Jezer, Shilem. These were the sons of Bilal, whom Laban gave to Rachel his daughter, 
and she bore these to Jacob, seven persons in all. So recapping the total, we have 70 individuals listed. We have 33 from Leah, 16 from Zilpah, 14 from Rachel, and 7 from Bilhah. And moving on to verse 26, it says, All the persons who went to Jacob, who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body besides Jacob's son's wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70. So we got the number 70 here. And just to clarify, the four who are added to the tally of 66 are Jacob himself, Joseph, and his two sons who were born to him in Egypt. And um, there is a significance with the number 70. Yes, sir. It appears to be, uh, uh, we can have that discussion afterwards because there's, uh, there's quite a bit of uh, discussion about the numbers, um, whether it's taken from the Septuagint or, or the Latin Vulgate, but it, it is a good question. But please remind me afterwards. All right, so um, the significance of the number 70. So it's made up of a factor of two perfect numbers. We have the number 7 representing perfection, and we have the number 10 representing completeness in God's law. So, uh, pop quiz time. How many commandments did God give Moses? <laughs> so, so, 10. All right, so um, what's the first commandment? Excellent. Who can recite? Uh, oh, never mind. <laughs> All right, next question. What did God create on the seventh day? Perfect, you're awake. Thank you. So, yeah, God rested on the seventh day. It was perfect. So, a um, couple other mentions of the number 70. A total of 70 Israelites started a nation within a nation that would grow to more than 2 million by the time we reach Exodus. And we also have 70 elders, I believe uh, some of you mentioned, who were appointed by Moses to, uh, to govern the nation. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 16, it says, So the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, that they may stand there with you. And uh, after reading the covenant God gave to him to read to the people, Moses took 70 elders along with Aaron and his sons up to Mount Sinai to have a special meal with God himself. In Exodus chapter 24, verses 9 to 11, it says, Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. Well, that would have been a sight. And there was under his feet as it were a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God, and they ate and drank. What a picture. So, 
Now we come uh, to another section where Jacob settles in Goshen. So in uh, verse 28 of chapter 46, it says, Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. So consider that Jacob is traveling to a foreign land with his entire family. And uh, as a respectful gesture to the governing powers, he would send Judah, one of his sons, before him to Joseph to announce his arrival to Goshen. Especially since uh, Pharaoh had been so benevolent to them. You know, that's uh, it's just something that I thought about that, um, you know, it's not specifically mentioned in the word, but... Uh, you know, when, uh, when you're going to visit, visit royalty or uh, are going to visit someone in power, you'd usually send someone to represent you and, and announce your coming just, uh, just as a sign of respect and honor. And uh, Judah leading the family to Goshen. Does that ring, name ring a bell? Let me uh, give you an excerpt from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verse 33. The son of Aminadab the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, remember the Mexican son? The son of Judah, there's Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahar. Let me give you another reference in the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 1, verse 2. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. I mean, just looking back at uh, all the crazy things these brothers did and, uh, and just the fact that God was in control and, uh, and Judah would be in the messianic line to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Indeed, God is in control, despite ourselves. So let's move on to verse 29 in chapter 46. It reads, So Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, because you are still alive. Man, this guy really wants to die. <laughs> but um, it is a great contrast to what Jacob said about going to the grave in sorrow. And, and now it was a total joy to be reunited with his son Joseph. Um, reference in Genesis chapter 42, verse 38, he says, but he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Big contrast. And we will see in chapter 47 that uh, Israel would actually live 17 more years in Egypt, a blessing beyond what anything he could have considered. And in uh, reference to Genesis 47, verse 27. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen. And they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. 
And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. It's a blessing from the Lord. So being in communion with God, the Lord imparted wisdom to Joseph as he thought about the livelihood of his family. You know, they would be foreigners in a pagan land, pagan practices. And, uh, and, you know, with the testing Joseph was doing with his brothers, he knew their propensity to get into trouble. So um, recall, you know, he warned them uh, in the previous chapter. And in 45, verse 24, So he sent his brothers away, and they departed. And he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. So uh, he knew these guys would probably be arguing or doing something and uh, just wanted to remind them, you know, uh, don't get into trouble. Don't fight with your brothers. The Lord is in control. And um, in the final verses of this chapter, we find that shepherds were detestable to the Egyptians. And uh, also, as you know, Jacob and his family were coming into a foreign place with pagan practices, there's always a temptation to fall into the world. I mean, uh, just think about surrounding cities here, like, uh, you know, like uh, Las Vegas, you know. There are some places that I just won't go and visit because... It's just so easy to fall into the flesh and, uh, and forget the Lord. So in verse 31 of chapter 46, it reads, Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock and they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? Just try to act like, trying to think about what voice Pharaoh would have. That you shall say, Your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth, and even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So uh, remember God's goodness and consider the perfect plan that the Lord is setting before them that they may flourish. So they'd be in the land of Goshen. It's a fertile region where they would have plenty of grass to graze their flocks. And also there is a segregation from the rest of Egypt so that they would not be exposed to the pagan practices and rituals. So uh, just consider that, you know. Wherever the Lord takes you, what did the Lord tell Jacob in the first place? I will go with you. I will be with you. I'm going to take care of you. Just trust in me. So, um, there was an Armenian writer. He was famous for a while and then... Uh, he disappeared in 1848, but uh, there was one quote that I remember from middle school. And uh, and the translation of it, you know, Armenian is different in grammar to English, so the way things are put into the sentence, um, there's emphasis put here and there. And uh, 
I'm going to try to translate the best that I can. But uh, this is from Khachadur Abovian. And uh, he had this saying. He said, learn ten languages, but your language, your faith, hold on to it tightly. And uh, this kind of struck me, and it's been in my mind since I, I learned that quote back in middle school. And I thought about how it would uh, how it would apply to my life and my faith. And when I thought about it, you know, God created each of us for His glory, and uh, and it is the utmost privilege to be alive, to be living for Him. And consider that God created everything; He created language, and the language that He gives each of us on our tongues is a tool from above to proclaim His gospel first to our own homes, then to our neighbors, and to the ends of the earth, as it states in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But how you view life really depends on how tightly you hold on to your faith in Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And uh, we saw the promises that God made to Jacob and how he remembered and took it to heart. And uh, there's a very neat summary in the Psalms of the events that have transpired thus far. And uh, I want to read to you some of the verses from Psalm 105. And I'm going to go from 1 through 23. um, The neat part is it, it includes this story that we've seen so far. But it's also giving praise and glory to the God who is all behind this. And it begins, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Just like we sang earlier on. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face forevermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O seed of Abraham, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Verse 7. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham, and his oath to Isaac, and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance, when they were few in number, indeed very few, and strangers in it. When they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no one to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sakes, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. Moreover, and this is where we're coming into this story that we've covered in the last few weeks. Moreover, he called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all provisions of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. 
The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. Israel also came to Egypt and Jacob dwelt in the land of Ham. So we've got a historical synopsis of the events that progressed with the nation of Israel. You know, there's a bunch more in this psalm that uh, talks about things that happened in the Exodus and the plagues and such. So I'm going to stop there in this psalm. But, um, you know, remembering God's goodness. Jacob remembered God's goodness and was obedient to his calling. And, um, and he was able to be reunited with a son he thought he would never see again. Um, as I thought about remembering God's goodness, um, I want to bring you an example. Uh, it's, it might sound a little silly, but uh, I wanted to mention it because it, it's, it's been something that reminds me of the Lord's goodness every single Easter. So uh, I have a flower bed in front of my house. And, you know, things grow there that are probably older than I am because, you know, um, it's just interesting things grow in there. I never planted them, but uh, I get to enjoy seeing those things grow. So um, what happens? Every single March-April time frame, right before Easter, there's one red tulip that pops out of the ground. And uh, it grows right on the edge of the flower bed, just reveals itself. And, and uh, for the last, you know, so many years that I've been there, um, I've looked for that tulip. And, uh, you know, um, and every time, you know, it would actually bloom right on Resurrection Day. So uh, it, that was a reminder to me that, you know, the Lord is good. And that's the life that he promises. But what happened this year? I'm looking for the tulip. It's not coming out. Nowhere to be seen. But, uh, and I'm like, uh, Lord, I know I don't have a green thumb. I actually have black thumbs from all the axle grease and motor oil I deal with. But, uh, but you know, um, God reminded me with something else this Easter. So um, I noticed, like, uh, early in March... Uh, when we had those heavy rains, uh, on the front porch, you know, I stepped out to get the mail, and then I saw these huge, ugly, spiny, slimy black caterpillars. They were crawling on the on the ceiling, and uh, and they had you know how caterpillars hook themselves up to some place and hang down and do some trapeze act in the wind. And I'm looking at these things. Um, I saw like two of them the first day, and then the next day I saw another one on the light, and then started looking again, and there's like a total of five of them. And uh, I kept looking at these things, and, and every morning I would just walk outside and check them out, you know. So first couple days they were hanging and then and chilling in the wind, and and then... A week later, saw that they started drying up and cocooning, and they turned into this ugly gray-shaped thing. And and then um, 
And then, uh, you know, I'm like, Lord, why are these things here? But um, I was thinking, you know, Lord, are you going to do something on Resurrection Day? Um, well, Resurrection Day had to leave early because we had uh, set up at the park. So I was pretty much out of the house all day. And uh, But later that night, um, you know, I... I came home and uh, it still wasn't hatched, but uh, I said, you know, what the hay? Let me try to scrape one of these off. You know, took one of my greasy screwdrivers and carefully scraped off the cocoon and brought it inside and taped it on a little twig. And then the following day, um, um, you know, I put this thing in the office where I work, and and then all of a sudden, like while I'm working, I hear what sounds like, uh, you know somebody crushing a bag of chips like and then all of a sudden I look and there's this butterfly coming out of that little cocoon and uh, and I'm looking at this thing I just had to stop and wait because it was starting to come out and start spreading the wings and then the wings started getting bigger and then uh, and maybe an hour or two later on actually saw the wings spread open and uh, I kid you not this thing was uh, I'd say a good three and a half inches it was uh, mostly black in color it had a gold stripe on the edge of the wings and when it opened up its wings it had blue dots that would glimmer in the sunshine and then I said Lord thanks for your reminder you might have taken the tulip away, but, uh, yep, God is so good. So with that, um, remembering God's goodness, when the Lord calls our name, let's just remember that uh, he is calling us for a reason. He has a reason for us to be here, to be his children of light, to spread his gospel, to do the good works that he prepared for us in advance to do and uh, let's just remember him as our Lord and Savior and uh, and glorify him with every breath until he takes us home let's pray gracious father we come to you in Jesus name and we thank you Lord for your goodness upon us and thank you Lord for teaching us through your words through the patriarchs and and through your servants throughout the generations that Lord you have always been good and it is us who, who fall short of your glory. And Lord God, um, I ask that we would build up altars that we could remember your goodness in our lives. And just looking around at our families, at everything you give us, that you are truly good, Lord. And Father, I pray for my brothers here, that whatever they're going through, that you would remind them that you are with them, that you are going with them and before them, and you are protecting them from the evil one. And Lord, um, we just ask that you use us for your name and glory, and that, Lord, we would be obedient to your calling, that we abide in you, that we meditate on your word day and night, that we are in a state of continual prayer, that, Lord, um, we would walk with you all the days of our lives. We thank you, God, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, and we love you, Lord. And the people of the Lord said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen.